the passages are listed in your worship guide. It's all from 1 Samuel this morning. Uh, we'll look at verse chapters 8, and then 10, and then 13 if you want to get prepared. We are beginning, as I mentioned, a new series on the life of David. And I titled the series, David, the Warrior Poet. Many of you know how much I love Braveheart. And that's how Braveheart ends. They fought like warrior poets. And I thought, that describes David. Like, he, you know, he's a warrior, but then he writes all these psalms, and he plays the lyre which is an instrument. So um, that's what we're going to look at, kind of the sides of David and look at his life. Uh, that he, you know, as far as being a warrior, just you, you'll know if you've read any of the stories, but when he comes into power, what really gets under Saul's skin is the, 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 the refrain, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So he's mighty, right? But then in Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he, he has these two sides to him. But obviously what we're also doing is we're looking at Jesus, because Jesus, this is the favorite title he's given, is Son of David. That's the one that he welcomes. And so we're going to explore the character of David uh, this year, uh, this, this fall, and I hope that you'll enjoy that. There's a lot to do. This is more of an intro sermon, so we, it's titled Preparing for a King. Um, we're going to look at kind of what was going on in Israel leading up to David. Next week, we'll look at his anointing. Uh, a few years ago, we went through Exodus. If you'll remember, uh, here's a little Bible history for you. Um, God brought Abraham out of the land of Ur. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's sons, one of his sons, Joseph, goes to Egypt and becomes second in command of Pharaoh. Later, the rest of the family shows up. They, they live like kings for a short while. And then in Exodus, we find that they've grown to 400 people, or no, 400,000, or I've got the number way off all of a sudden. Sorry, a lot of people. And don't do anything ad-lib. And they've grown, but they're in slavery. So God rescues them out of slavery. He shows up, and he uses Moses and rescues them. That's why you call it the Exodus. Then you have the conquest, right? So when you get to the book of Joshua, they're going to go in and take over the land and possess the land. And all through the book of Joshua, that's what's happening. Uh, what you'll find, though, by the end of the book is they didn't quite possess the land. They left a lot of their enemies uh, doing very well and, and surviving. And then you get to Judges. And Judges is a cycle, a period of time. And it's a period of time in human history where kingship wasn't quite a thing yet. So it's beginning to happen. But, but what God was doing in Israel was sending them judges to rescue them in their down times. You know, they would go through these cycles where for a while they would do everything that they wanted to do that was right in their mind, sin, they'd get in trouble, and then God would send someone like Gideon, right, or Deborah, or Samson, right? And then they, that, that judge would judge for so many years, everything would get back to normal, and then they would go on again. Well, Samuel, the character who the book is named after, the person who the book is named after, is really the last judge of Israel. Now, he has two sons that sort of pretended to be judges that didn't quite work. So Samuel is that last person God sent before the kingship that we'll find in Saul. And what's important about that is it's really this transition in human history where um, all of a sudden other nations start having two things. Iron, they start making swords and shields and weaponry, and kings, these leaders that are powerful. And here's Israel with this older guy named Samuel and they're getting nervous. So that's setting us up for our passage this morning, starting in chapter 8. We'll look at verses, we'll start at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. 
and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the, the, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Then Samuel begins to give them, here's what a king's going to look like. Verse 10. He told them all the words of the Lord. Verse 11, he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but that there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Jumping over to chapter 10, verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the land, from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your disasters or distresses, and have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And so Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near and by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord. Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! And in 13, we're getting there, I promise. 13, here's what's happening. Saul's had success. He started to to fight the enemies. And now he's gathered for battle. He's about to fight the Philistines, and we start at verse 8. He waited seven days, which was the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. 
And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom forever over Israel, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you have indeed sent a king, your son Jesus. And I pray this morning, as we look at this old text, that it would seem familiar because it's true. And the sins committed by Israel are struggles we have even today. And the salvation you offered to Israel has been found in Christ. And I pray that message would be proclaimed this morning. Amen. I know that was a lot of reading, so let me take you from ancient text to modern uh, YouTube video. The Magic Coffee Table. Who's seen it? If you're married, it's hilarious. Uh, there's, a, there's a British couple, it's a comedian, man sitting on the couch, just kind of eating chips. The wife walks in and he says, when's dinner? And she said, you can make yourself dinner. I just got off work like you did. I'm not going to try my British accent. Abby, you're welcome. And he, said, and he begins to just sit there and listen, and she continues to rant about how busy life is and how stressful it is and how he leaves stuff everywhere, and she's just bothered by him. And he says, hush, come here. And he walks her into the kitchen. He says, honey, I want you to show you something. See this basket? Well, since we've been together, something's really strange has gone on, and this house is magical. That basket is magic. When I put stuff in it, dirty, I'll come back the next day, it's empty, and I'll go to my drawers. And my clothes are in my drawers. And she's like, you must be insane. She's getting very angry. He says, uh, no, no, no. I know. It's weird, but there's more. Come here. So he takes her to the living room. There's this coffee table. He says, see this coffee table? It's in disarray. I, I put stuff on it. And no matter what I put on it, the next morning, it's completely cleaned up. In fact, sometimes I just try my best to make it as dirty as I can make it. And the next morning, it's always clean. And then the very next scene of the short video shows him from the angle of the copy table looking down, a female police officer and a male police officer. And he says, I don't know what happened to her. I heard some noises in the night. She must have fallen on the table and just disappeared like all the stuff. And the woman officer says, are you insane? And then the police officer or the male says, uh, he's not insane. I have one of these at my house. <laughs> Great video. Okay. We and Israel are like that guy. God is constantly serving us. But like that guy, we don't even notice it. We just think it's magic until we have our needs. And in this passage, just to kind of remind you from what we've just heard, there's a, there's a theme here. And that is this. The people of Israel wanted a visible, tangible king. They weren't happy with the fact that God had provided for them over and over again. In fact, anything that had gone wrong for Israel was because of their own sin. He had done everything he promised. And yet they had gotten to this point where they, they just saw the enemy. They look at Samuel, 
And instead of saying, we trust our Heavenly Father, we trust that He will provide as He's always provided, they decide, let's make our own solution, and how about we do something different, and let's get rid of this whole idea of a judge anyway. Let's have a king like the other nations. And the question I have for you this morning is this. How are you, like the Israelites, preemptively solving your problems? Because that's what we do, right? We preemptively, they, had, they didn't have a problem. Samuel was still doing just fine. They weren't in any particular disaster at that moment. But they, they, they imagined something coming down the pike, and they were afraid, so they had a solution. I know in my life, often my biggest mistakes are my preemptive efforts at finding my own kings and solving my own problems through earthly methods. And what I'm hoping to see this morning as we set the way for this entire uh, series is that what God wants is not only a king after his own heart, right? But he wants us to follow that king. And it's so easy for us to fool ourselves. The Israelites did not think they were leaving their faith behind. They just thought they were making an augmentation, they were adjusting it. And the question for you is, are you following Jesus, your king? So we're going to look at three things. We're made for a king, why we choose the wrong kings to follow, and then finally, following the true king. Okay. We are, we are made for a king. When you look at this text, it, it would be very easy to think that the takeaway is they didn't need a king. Right? Israel doesn't need a king. They have God, which is true. And let me show you where you find that in chapter 8. Verse uh, 80 says, or verse, let, me, let me just back up, verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that you say to them. For they had not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so God is their king. Now, why would they need God as their king or an earthly king? What's happening in that culture is there are a bunch of clans, right? Uh, Israel at that point was tribes, 12 tribes scattered about their, their area with enemies all around them, and they weren't united. Whenever God would raise up a judge, that would have the effect of uniting them, but it wasn't always perfect. And so for them, the thought of having a king made perfect sense. And, and it makes perfect sense to us. We need rulers. We need people over us. And let me be clear when I talk about kingship. I'm not just talking about like an actual person. Right, we're Americans. We have a president. Um, some of you love him. Some of you hate him. I've not met any of you who love him lately, but anyway. Um, but nonetheless, I'm talking about what things you and I sort of look to to solve our problems, right? We look to external solutions, be it finances, looks, groups, organizations. I mean, there's a million ways we try to find kings, and it's because deep in our soul we know there's a problem that needs a solution. And that's where Israel was. Now, if you went back to the last chapters of Judges, not only were their problems external, but there was actually a type of civil war, right? The, the, the tribe of Benjamin fights with Israel, and, and they have internal problems as well. So here's what I want you to get for so far is this. The problem, the reason you seek the wrong solution, the reason you and I, I'm included, choose wrong solutions to our problem is because we don't realize they start in our heart internally. We think they're all outside of us, right? Finances. If I just had a relationship, if I could just get in that class that just closed because it's on that perfect moment, that perfect morning that would free my schedule. We have so many little things and big things that if we could just get that settled, 
life would be smooth. But those things that we want will never solve the deep issues in our soul, in our hearts, right, of sin and brokenness. The deacons are reading a book called Helping Without Hurting, and it really stems from another book called When Helping Hurts. And one of the premises behind the book is, uh, as we seek to help people who are in poverty, which is a very serious issue in every city, and, and right here in Stillwater, the, the wrong thing Christians often do is we often try to just help the outer problems, pay the bill, you know, provide the groceries, etc. And no one's really willing to come alongside a person and look deeper at the systemic issues in that person's life. Does that make sense? Anyone? Is that depressing? Like, oh, poverty. I don't want, where's, the, where's the fun in that? What we're learning as we read it is this. We're pov- we have poverty. Every one of us in that room reading that book talks about realizes, I have issues. Like, that hits so close to home. And some of these issues in our lives are so systemic. Maybe uh, the family of origin that we were raised in. Maybe, um, maybe there's just horrible habits we've adopted. And over and over in our lives, problems emerge. And what we do is we try to just solve all of our problems. Those are wrong kings. Those are wrong solutions. And until you realize that you were made for the true king, Jesus, none of those solutions will work. And that is exactly what we wish Israel would have known. We wish the elders would have come to Samuel and said, you're getting old and your sons aren't doing a good job. Those are true statements. What does Yahweh want? What is God doing? We're just curious. We trust him. I'm sure he's got an amazing plan. Please help us to understand and just continue to trust through worship and through um, just following your, the commands he gives as a mouthpiece through you, Samuel, what he wants. But that's not what they did. The elders went out and demanded an earthly king. Now, before I transition into the problems with earthly kings, I just want to remind you of Jesus, how he comes along as a king in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. I was just thinking through this, the seven I am statements, the way he wants to come alongside you and be your king. He says, I'm the bread of life. You know, it's interesting, when he says that, it's because he's fed 5,000 people, and then he left, and they went looking for him. And in another place in, this, in, the, in the Gospels, it says, he knew they wanted to take him by force and make them their earthly king. He wasn't going to have it. He's not going to be your earthly king, championing, championing, you know, knocking out Rome and and having this throne on earth. He's the son of God. He's going to have a a universal kingdom that you are a part of, and it's spiritual. And so when he says, I'm the bread of life, he says, I provide you the food you need for your soul. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. That's the kind of king you should long for. You're made for this king. When you think about the things that you think will soothe you, do they measure up to Jesus? The resurrection and the life? The way, the truth, and the life? And the last one he talks about in John, John, the true vine? When you think about the things that make you feel hopeful in your life, you know, the things that you look at on the phone to give you that next kick, like, oh yeah, yeah, that. What are the things you're looking to? Do they give you those things? Do they meet your needs? What, you know, if you could walk into some magic room and say, I need this for my life to be complete, and whatever you said would be given you, what would that thing be? 
Here's our problem. I really believe this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'll, be, I'll be convicted with you. If we figured out a way to put some booth out there, some person's in that booth, and everyone got to walk up to that booth and make one request, and you got that request, we would do it, wouldn't we? You could request anything, and I would walk in there and make that request. And often we'd make that request, and if that person said, I'm going to give you this, but it's not going to make you happy, like, you know, Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, he has to give money because he has it, he can't lie. And he gives it to the, the guy panhandling. He says, but it's not going to help you. It's not going to make you happy. I think we would all still go to that booth and still ask for it anyway because we want earthly kings. That's exactly what happens in this passage. We have this need for a king, but what we want are things that we can see and touch and, and feel even in the face of warning. Samuel, it's, a, it's astounding to me that Samuel says, I'm going to do this. God is going to anoint a king. We later find out as Saul. You're going to get exactly what you want. He's going to be tall and powerful. He's going to win wars. You're not going to be happy. And he tells them that. And he explains it. And what's interesting is as you read the explanation of what he's going to do with your sons and your daughters um, and, your, and your land and your grain and your oxen and your donkeys and everything else, it doesn't really even get half as close to what really happens later in the kingly line of Israel and Judah. I mean, it gets far, far worse. And yet Samuel's giving them this warning, and I love it. At the very end, they're like, we still want a king. It's so fascinating. Not only that, when you look at chapter 10, they go to anoint Saul, and he's hiding. It's like, we've gone through everybody. Where is he? Oh, he's hiding in the baggage. Like, what? That's our king? So he stands up, and he happens to be freakishly tall. Awesome. And then you know what they say? Long live the king. They are foolish. And yet we all know exactly that situation in our own life. Um, Samuel is not being mean, by the way, when he tells them all the ways a king will be bad for them. If you've ever done a science experiment, everyone in this room has done it. You go into the lab. I'm not good at science, but... The, it's those moments where for a second, science is exciting. Now, some of you love science, so I apologize. It's me. It's not you. But I need an experiment to go, oh, you put that in there and this thing, and it blows up into a volcano or erupts into a, you know, whatever. A an experiment, right? You need to see tangibly what will happen when you do this thing, right? That's what Samuel is saying to them. He's doing a science experiment. He says, let me tell you something. I'm not just telling you God's going to be mean and give you a bad king. I'm telling you right now, and I'm telling you right here from this pulpit, nothing made of earth will satisfy you. Not because God is mean, but because it doesn't make scientific sense. What you're after is in your soul. What you're going toward, what you think you're after in this <clears throat> earthly choice you're making is simply a, an idol, something you're making up, a person or an object, or a home, or something like that. Some goal you're after. Some, maybe it's a degree, uh, entrance into some school. Whatever it is, you're, maybe you want to be in a certain fraternity or sorority. I know it's a big deal. Uh, you have this thing, if you could just have it, and yet your soul is telling you, it will not help you. A, you may not get it, and B, if you do get it, it may crush you. Right? And it's because... We are, it's, 
the, the, the heart behind wanting the earthly king, and we see this in chapter 8, verse 8, <clears throat> where God says to Samuel, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. They would never have said, I'm not an Israelite. I don't serve Yahweh. They would have said, I'm an Israelite. I serve Yahweh, and I have this cool-looking statue that I also pray to just in case. For them, it was just this grouping of, of idols. The goal being what? Personal flourishing. I want to flourish. I want to do better. That is not the point of the Bible. The point of Scripture is not that you would read it and go, how can I get better? But the point of Scripture is to show you who has redeemed you and who's making you better. Jesus, right? So, what are some idols uh, in our culture right now? What are some ways I think we're struggling with some of this mob mentality? This is very, I'm treading on very hallowed ground. So, we have Charlottesville. We have uh, racism. If any of you follow social media in any way, maybe not Snapchat. I don't think it's made to Snapchat. I don't know what that is. But, you know, if you read news on your social media, you read what your friends think, etc., on Twitter, Facebook, I was just told that you all don't use Facebook. Is that true? Raise your hand if you're a college student and you use Facebook. Okay, wow. We've got a whole new social experiment going on right there. Well, that's how we're learning about Charlottesville and, and the race, racial riots going on or that went on last week and seem to be tracking other places and the tearing down of statues and these deep, deep issues. And I want to just make, this is an aside. And, I, and we were talking about it recently and I just realized I need to tell you what this church thinks. We believe racism is sin. We believe racism is evil, right? In fact, next week, when we look at the anointing of David, the whole point of the chapter is, you know, man looks at outward appearance, God looks on the heart. So I'll deal with it more then, but just please understand we believe racism is sin. But what I want to just bring up for a brief second is something that I keep, it's an itch I can't scratch as I read my, my different feeds on Facebook, and on Twitter, and I have a lot of pastor friends and a lot of just various friends from parts of my life. And what I'm finding is there's a, aside from whatever, wherever you are on should you tear down statues and should you do this or do that, there is this overwhelming sense of mob mentality. Has anyone sensed that? It's like you have to believe this exact thing right here or you're way off. One of my pastor friends who's planning a church said, if you don't preach this point, your church is racist, or something like that. And I'm just like, wait a minute. We've become, we've just drifted into this mob mentality. And I want to just caution you that as you begin to process even these events that are happening around you, please begin with Jesus. Please begin with the true king. Please repent of thinking you know everything or that your friend knows everything. Because I have found in my heart fear about even thinking something different than that group. Almost feeling something that I'm not, right? Or feeling anger and hate where I shouldn't. So I'm just asking you, before, next week I'll hopefully talk a bit more about some of the specific issues. But I just want to end that point that one of the ways we do follow earthly kings is even in our ideas. Even in the formation of our thinking. We just find the feed we agree with and go, that's who I ascribe to. Make that me. And we just jump in. And that's what Israel was doing. The elders went to Samuel. Do you think they had the idea? No. 
they were told, it's like an exodus. I'm sure the people came to the elders and said, we need a king. The elders said, that's a good idea. You all seem to think it. Go to, go to Samuel. Samuel, they and I and we all think we need this earthly king. It makes perfect sense. And for Samuel and for God, it was complete disobedience. Why? What was wrong? So this is our last point, following the right king. Okay, chapter 13. What was so wrong with Saul? What was so wrong with this earthly king? I know you're getting tired. I know it's long. I know half of you have never been here before and don't know me. Just give me five more minutes. Let's see what happens. Let's find Jesus. In verse, uh, let me just paraphrase what's happening. Uh, Saul is a pretty successful king, but he's about to face one of the biggest enemies, and his people are scattering, and the enemies are looking pretty strong, and Samuel's late. So what does he do? Nothing big. He just performs the sacrifice by himself. The problem is uh, he wasn't supposed to do that. Now, when you read the text, you might read like you do a lot of Old Testament texts and say, like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. If the sacrifice is a lucky rabbit's foot, a step, something you do on your to-do list, to get to the next step, then I don't think Saul did anything wrong. He just expedited it. But if that sacrifice points to the need of a Savior, that God himself, Yahweh, will provide in the form of a son, and Saul goes and does what he did, then it's a travesty. That we can have the success of Yahweh without having the redemption of a Savior. Here's what I want those of you that have never been here before to know. If you never come back, here it is. Ready? The Bible is all about Jesus. When we study David this semester, we're not looking at a person we want to emulate. We're not going to go, okay, how do I become like David? What we are going to do is ask, how is Jesus in this passage? How is David a reflection of Jesus? Do you remember the story on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples of have witnessed the resurrection, they've, they've, or the, uh, the crucifixion. They've heard there might have been a resurrection. They're unsure. They're just traveling to a dis- short distance for sleep and a meal, and they're talking amongst themselves, and, and Jesus is close. And he pretends to not know what's going on and asks them, you've not heard all that's taken place in Jerusalem? And then he reveals it's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And they sit down and talk, and he says, and it shows him, He shows them all about himself from the scriptures. He goes to the Old Testament and says, let me show you where I am in the passage, right? Well, it's very easy to say, sure, there's a lot of places in scripture, like Isaiah we quoted for our assurance of pardon and other places that clearly point to Jesus. But but there aren't a ton of those, right? I mean, you might think that way. Um, But then you get to places like Hosea where Hosea prophesies, out of Egypt will come Israel. Israel will come out of Egypt. Referring to who? The people of God. You know, the Jews that are, that are law-abiding Jews coming out of Egypt. But then you get to Matthew chapter 2, and when you find out that Jesus and his parents had to flee to Egypt, Matthew tells us, thus fulfilling the promise that Jesus will have to come out of Egypt. And all of a sudden you realize... The entire Bible points to Jesus, right? The entire scripture points to the fact that you and I 
need Jesus. So the sacrifice that Saul makes is a denial of the need of Christ. And what is what was Samuel's response in chapter fourteen or in chapter thirteen, verse fourteen? But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has brought out the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people. Yes, he's talking about David. But he's talking about Jesus. The Lord has provided for you a king. A king who will rescue you from your sin. A king who loves you. And I want you to hear this. When I say that, I do mean, and we mean primarily at your salvation. If you are not a Christian, and you hear these mess- this message of Jesus, please hear that what we are saying is Jesus wants to rescue you from your sin. But if you are a Christian and you are here, and I've been in that place many, many times where I'm thinking, I remember being saved, but right now I feel like I'm struggling. Life is messy. I loved what Shane said before the confession. Maybe just last night I did that thing I did not want to do again. And the message is if you are in Christ, Jesus wants to rescue you and loves you and has rescued you. You are in him. So what do you do then as a child of God? What is your role? What should the Israelites have done? Uh, Is let God be God. Trust in Jesus. Press into him. Don't try to improve yourself. One of my favorite, I'm, one of my fa- I want to close with this illustration, but it's actually a passage, but I've done this before. But one of the, my favorite places in Scripture that has impacted me is the, the story where Jesus is on the boat and the waves are crashing in. And I always read that to mean that when life gets tough, Jesus can calm your storm. And that's, a, that's not a bad interpretation. But when I started studying that passage and in its various places in the Gospels, there's one, there are two places where Jesus gets up, calms the storm. Right? Just if you don't know the story, there's a storm. All the disciples are freaking out. Jesus is asleep down on the bottom. And so they wake him up. Are, you, are we going to die? And he calms the storm. And then he says to the disciples, Oh, ye of little faith. But there's one of the locations where he comes up, looks at this, I mean, the storm's still happening, right? And he looks at the disciples and says, oh, ye of little faith. Then he calms the storm. And I remember reading that and going, Jesus is not promising you to remove all your problems. He's not going to take away all the frustrations. He's not going to give you your earthly king. What he is saying to you is as long as you're with me, and I'm asleep, you're okay. If you've ever been a parent and there's a problem and your kids are watching you, you know something. You know that you better not look panic on your face because what's going to happen? They're going to freak out. So I don't care if it's a mile-wide tornado. Hey, kids! Let's, and you hear that from the more tornado. Like you, parents and adults have to act like everything's great, right? Jesus is sleeping during a storm. What do we do? Let's lay down with them. We're going to be safe. We're in Christ. Is that your hope? Is that that your king? Is Jesus your king? 
Or are you trusting in other things to rescue you and leaving Jesus somewhere off on the shelf? So what do you do? My, my, my practical hope would be that you would examine the things that you think will rescue you and be ruthlessly honest at how they really won't. Actually go down the path. If I go out with that person and we, you know, just go down the path. of If I make that my goal and that's my goal and Jesus is over here, really trace it to the fact that life will not go well. And by faith, just run into the arms of Christ. Trust in Him and in your salvation in Him. And just see what He does. He will provide. Let's pray. God, You have always kept Your promises. And we have never kept ours. Yet we accuse You of breaking Your promises by our actions. Just by the act that we go after other gods, we run after other solutions, we preemptively grasp anything that will make us feel better, when all you would have us do is by faith press into you, repenting of our desire to run and living out the life of salvation that you have given us. So Lord, we look to David and more importantly to your son Jesus to help us by the power of your spirit find our identity in the kingdom that you have provided for us, God, and not in the kingdoms of this world. Amen.